I know I tried to get you fired, closed your business, closed your church, shut down your kid's school, called you plague rats, banned you from gathering for your loved one's funerals, closed the parks, playgrounds, the beaches, accused you of murder. Okay, maybe. Uh, All right, but let's just move on. What do you say? Let's move on and heal. Can we do that? This is the pitch. This is the pitch now. A week before the election, six days before the election, this is the pitch. A pandemic amnesty, or a a pamnesty, if you will. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, Pete Callender here. And uh, a lot of people discussing this topic. And uh, I am, on the one hand, kind of sympathetic. You've heard my thoughts on this before, if you've been listening. Uh, And special shout out to the hate listeners as well. Uh, people, they listen longer. They People who hate me and the show and the politics, they they listen far longer than the people who like me and like the show and like the politics. It's just one of those things. It's the Howard Stern effect. Um, so there was a piece at TheAtlantic.com written by Emily Oster. Uh, I believe Dr. Emily Oster or Oster. Oster. And... Uh, she would very much like there to be a pandemic amnesty. And this idea was uh, offered support uh, from Randy Weingarten, the head of the American Federation of Teachers, who you'll recall exercised influence and leverage to keep schools closed and to influence CDC policy on the guidance that basically everybody followed. And so Randy Weingarten would very much like there to be some pandemic amnesty as well, or pamnesty. And on the one hand, I have said, uh, I do not need an apology from people who made policy. Now, there are, okay, keep in mind, as Vince Coakley would say, right, do not hear what I'm not saying. There are a lot of different people who behaved badly to varying degrees and on various sides of various issues. So let me just state that. This is, I'm not talking about all the people who were commenting uh, on or, uh, or, or influencing the response. I am talking about the people who actually had to make the call, whether that's the CDC leadership, you know, Fauci or elected officials. There needs to be a recognition and admission Again, I don't even need an apology for it because I am willing to assume that the motives were the same, that the motive was to try to save lives. I'm willing to give people that benefit of the doubt because you know me, I'm a giver. So I'm not seeking an apology. I don't need Roy Cooper, for example. I don't need the Mecklenburg County Board of Commissioners, who, by the way, are up for re-election. Did you know that the Mecklenburg County Board of Elect- or Board of uh, County Commissioners... Uh, They also are the Board of Health in uh, Mecklenburg. And this actually goes back about 20 years. I was actually here when they when this became an issue, when they became the Board of Health. It was uh, I believe it had a lot to do with the um, if I remember correctly, had had something to do with the uh, adoptive services transgressions, if I recall correctly. But either way. County Commission here in Mecklenburg, they are the Board of Health. And so they followed in lockstep the guidance that came from the state Department of Health and Human Services, Mandy Cohen. And uh, they followed the advice from their own county health officials, 
uh, Gibby Harris, right? Uh, she was the health director. Uh, now she is retired, and M- Mandy Cohen is no longer there either at the state level. And the governor, right, Roy Cooper, when he issued his executive orders, his stay, was it safer at home executive order, or as I refer to it as the SHEO. It was the SHEO, S-H-E-O, stay home or yeah, safe, right, stay home executive order, and then it became safer at home executive order. So at first it was stay home, more of an order, if you will. And then it was, uh, hey, why don't you just, you know, safer at home? If you stay home, you'll be safer. And that was more of an encouragement. The results were fairly the same. Businesses stayed locked down. Businesses that sold alcohol uh, that were strictly a, a bar or nightclub, they stayed locked down, shuttered for way longer, even though places that also sold just alcohol, like wineries, for example, or or breweries, they got to open back up because I think they donated more money to his reelection campaign or something, but I'm not sure. Um, no, no, I'm, no okay, I don't know that. I don't know if it was purely a political reason. I just know that all like the big box stores, they got to stay open as essential and uh, small operations that sold similar goods, they had, to, uh, they had to close. And I'm sure that had nothing to do with politics at all. I don't even need an apology for that. I've already forgiven people for making bad decisions. And all throughout the pandemic, now I know I wasn't here on WBT for all of that time. I arrived uh, in 2021, so just over a year ago. But even before that, I was doing a podcast. And this is, this is what I talked about every, almost every day during the beginning of the pandemic. On the podcast, I would monitor the governor's press conferences. We would play audio from it. I would bring research on. I would talk to experts, elected officials. And when I got here, it was 2021. And then, of course, the, a lot of the lockdown orders started getting lifted. And um, the, uh, the pandemic sort of uh, abated. I'm not saying that my arrival in Charlotte led to the end of the pandemic. I'm just saying, is it a coincidence? Yes, it's a total coincidence, but it coincidentally happened when I arrived. So maybe you don't know, maybe you're not uh, clear or didn't know, you weren't listening to the podcast, which, by the way, you can get the podcast at the WBT.com or the PeteCalendarShow.com. And uh, so you're not aware, but all throughout the process, all throughout the pandemic, from the very early stages, I was willing to give people, even Roy Cooper, the benefit of the doubt But I was also skeptical of some of the approaches because I saw within, I want to say, a couple weeks of when they locked down everything, I saw the research done by a team out of Japan that talked about the micro droplets and how when people speak, it fills the room with these tiny little micro droplets um, from the lungs, and they're so small that they just suspend in air. From the very beginning... I don't understand, and I have still to this day do not understand, why they did not include ventilation as one of the mitigation approaches. I go through Harris Teeter now, and it feels like the fans are running all the time, which is great. The air needs to keep moving to move the micro droplets out of the, uh, out of the area. I even like I even was willing to work with them on the branding thing, not Harris Teeter, but the, the governor's office. You know, the branding was the three W's. Remember those? The three W's? It's like uh who, what, or why or something. I forget. It's been so long. It was like wash your hands, 
wait six feet apart, and wear a mask, right? Well, you could have thrown a fourth W in there. Windows, right? Open the windows. Get ventilation going. So it's from the very beginning, there were certain ideas that were, for some reason, deemed ungood. These were not real mitigation efforts. No, no, no. It's better you wear the bandana around your face instead of opening windows and turning on fans. I am willing to assume that people made these decisions for the right reasons, that they had the best interests of people in mind when they made these calls. What I am still waiting for are the people who made the calls to say they were the wrong calls. And that's not happening. And until that happens, no, no amnesty, no pandemic amnesty for the people that made those calls. You have to say they were the wrong calls, folks. The people who made the calls have to say that was a mistake. We made the wrong calls. We, we made it for the right reason. We were trying to do the right thing, but that was, that was a mistake. We shouldn't do that again. And until I start hearing that, uh, sorry, I'm not on board with the pan-amnesty. Uh, pan pan-amnesty. Not, 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 hap- not happening. Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Are you willing to forgive all the people that uh, wanted you to die um, or lose your job or, you know, have your kid become a moron? Well, okay, not moron, just uneducated. Um, the, they called you plague rats, right? I mean, really, shouldn't you forgive them? I know, like, they were out having drinks at the shuttered bars and stuff um, in violation of their own executive orders, shutting everything down while, you know, you couldn't bury your grandma at a funeral. Um, But, you know, come on. That was so, you know, 2020. (sighs) I mean, come on. What? Pandemic amnesty. This is what is now being floated. Which... By the way, I think for any kind of an amnesty, there has to be some sort of a recognition that mistakes were made or something bad occurred. Like, for, I'll put it in terms that uh, that the defenders of democracy can understand. Um, you don't give amnesty to all of the January 6th rioters, right, who engaged in violence. You don't give all of them amnesty right, unless there's a recognition that they made a mistake in doing what they did or – Again, it's not even necessary uh, necessary to get an apology, but there has to be a recognition that this was not acceptable, because otherwise it's just going to keep happening again. See the amnesty deals that were given to illegal immigrants uh, under Reagan, right? When you do the amnesty deal and there isn't any attempt to then stop the behavior, the behavior continues because people now believe they will get amnesty again. So, no, I'm not interested in giving you amnesty. I've already forgiven you. This is It's a different question. And maybe people will say, oh, Pete, you're splitting hairs. Well, that is what I do. I mean, it's a hobby of mine. I go home and I, like to, I split hair. I have a razor and like these tweezers. Got an email here. Um, to Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. That's the email. Uh, Pete, regarding that Atlantic article on pandemic amnesty, they are trying to keep their necks out of the noose. Tim, 
Uh, yeah, I don't know if that's uh, uh, figuratively or literally. Uh, but yes, I do find it interesting that this uh, this pleading comes a week before the election. And make no mistake about it, the COVID policies of the last two years are very much on the ballot. And I understand that a lot of the policies originated under the previous administration, under the Trump administration. I know that. I wasn't a supporter of some of those things, too. But I, again, I give the benefit of the doubt to people when they made these when they made these calls. There was a comment that um, Congressman, oh, why am I drawing a blank on his name? Greg Murphy, Dr. Greg Murphy. And he said, we're building the plane as we're flying it. So I understand mistakes are going to get made. And sometimes there were no good options, right? Sometimes you had option A, option B, option C, and all of them had a long list of cons and a very small list of pros. And you're trying to pick among these bad options, but you pick one. I'm not going to chastise you for picking A over C or B over A. I'm not going to do that. But if you picked outcome B and there were a whole bunch of problems with it, and there were a lot of unintended consequences that you did not foresee, and you don't come out and say, yeah, you know what, I probably should have, I kind of wish I had chosen option A, but I made the best call I could. So uh, just for future reference, don't do option B. That one was bad, right? Don't shut down the schools. Well, we didn't actually shut down the schools. We shut down the buildings. Have you heard this approach too? This is one of the, yeah, this is one of the narratives that they've taken out, walked around, run up the flagpole, see if anybody will salute it. We didn't shut down the schools. We just shut down the buildings, Okay, well, how about from now on, we will fund schools, but not the buildings. How about that? You okay with that idea? Your standard. In April of 2020, with nothing else to do, Emily Oster says, My family took an enormous number of hikes. Privilege. We all wore cloth masks that I had made myself. Oh, my gosh, the brightness of the virtue signal is... God. Can you, you, I have a mental image of who she was walking around with these masks. Oh, I can make some masks for you, too. You wear it to protect yourself and others. Wear it for your loved ones. Don't you want the pandemic to end? They even created a hand signal among the family members on their hikes. So the person in the front, when you're walking on the trail, you know, you got, you're all lined up, single file, and you're walking down the trail. And so the person in front would use this secret family hand signal if somebody was approaching on the trail and then they needed to put their masks back on. <laughs> they, had the, they had a mask on hand signal on the hiking trails. I went on, a, I was up in the mountains when the pandemic hit. We were living in Asheville and we uh, went out with a church group and we went on a, a trail hike. And I'll never forget passing by some people. And this is, I will tell you, you think people down here are COVID terrified or were COVID terrified? The people in Asheville? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Just racked and riddled with neuroses and anxiety. You're outside. You're walking on a trail. And these people would, like, run 20 feet into the woods to avoid being near anybody. It's just ridiculous. So they had the secret hand signal. And get this. One time, when another child got too close to my then four-year-old son on a bridge, he yelled at her, quote, social distancing. That is a sad, sad story to me. What kind of fear have you embedded in that kid now for the rest of his life? These are the things I think of. 
See, that's the other side of the ledger. And this is the kind of stuff that I would do during the pandemic. There are pros and cons to these decisions. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Got an email here from Stan to Pete at the Pete Callender Show. Pete, per Rule 48, there is no such thing as a coincidence. So thank you for showing up in Charlotte and uh, sending COVID packing. Thank you, Stan. All right, I'll take it. Why not? Um, let me see. Next here is Dan. He says, Pete, like his brother Don, Joe Quixote has very obviously been huffing the camphor. Nobody else anywhere has seen or heard any of these evil Republican windmill windmills conspiring to collapse Social Security and Medicare, requiring Joe Quixote to gallop in on his trusty steed to save the day. Or to quote Joe Quixote himself, would it just be Quixote? Anyway, uh, who do they think they are? By the way, just heard you and uh, Boomer talking on the Tuesday-Wednesday banter. It reminded me of the story of three old men on a park bench one says windy today isn't it and the second says no it's thursday and then the third old fellow says me too let's get a beer i think i saw that on a greeting card actually a birthday card get it windy today no it's thursday me too let's get a beer thursday okay thank you dan (laughs) all right so Emily Oster at TheAtlantic.com says, look, all of these precautions, the social distancing, the the cloth masks and stuff, they were totally misguided. In April 2020, no one got the coronavirus from passing somebody else while outdoor hiking, right? Outdoor transmission was vanishingly rare. Our cloth masks made out of old bandanas would would not have done anything anyway. But the thing is, we didn't know. But you acted like you did. See, that's the rub. You didn't know. The lack of humility on display during the pandemic is the thing that chapped my lips the most, let's say. It was the thing that that hacked me off the most. People acting without humility, thinking that they knew these these, uh, approaches, they knew these things to be certain, to the point where they began shaming other people, Attacking other people, labeling them as plague rats. Same thing happened with the vaccines. The demands that people inject the experimental vaccine. And I, and I say this as one who got the experimental vaccine and had discussions with people about this very thing. But Pete, don't you know, you're, you're, you're going to be a guinea pig. Indeed, I do know that. I am also a supporter of legislation for right to try. If you are dying of something, you should have the right to try experimental drugs that could save your life. Because then, even if they don't work and you still die, science is enriched for that. Other people may learn something off of your volunteering to try the drug. Now, I do think that if you uh, if you do go to the uh, go through the uh, the uh, experiments and, and you are willing to do these these trials, I think you should get the drug once it goes to market. I think you should get it for free for the rest of your life. To me, that would be fair, right? To me, that's fair. But I'm not a pharmaceutical uh, drug lord, so I can't uh, <laughs> so I can't make that call. 
But I looked at my own risk assessment and I advised people, they do the same. You talk to your doctor, you risk uh, assess your own risk. And I said this throughout the entire pandemic on every one of these uh, executive orders that Governor Cooper uh, issued and all the decrees that came from DHS and the federal government, right? This was all about people's own risk assessment. And everyone has a different risk threshold. It's just like investing, right? Some people may be willing to invest more of their retirement money than others. They have a higher risk profile, and some people do not. Some people are very, very conservative, and they don't want to uh, have any risks. And we were being governed and shamed and abused by the most neurotic portion of the society. So, no, you don't get amnesty for that. You don't. You can shut up. You can sit down. You can say you made the bad call. Like, you could say those things. I'm, you could do those those things, too. I'm fine with that. But, no, you don't get to now come over and try to guilt me into, quote, forgiving you. She says, I've been reflecting on this lack of knowledge thanks to a class I'm co-teaching at Brown University on COVID. We've spent several lectures reliving the first year of the pandemic, discussing the many important choices we had to make under conditions of tremendous uncertainty. She says there's an emerging, uh, but now some of these have turned out, you know, not to be good decisions. These, there is a, well, she says some of these choices turned out better than others. She says there is an emerging, if not universal consensus that schools in the U.S. were closed for too long. The health risks of in-school transmission were relatively low, whereas the costs to students' well-being and educational progress were high. Okay, first off, I'm going to push back a little bit on this idea that it's a near universal consensus because I haven't seen a lot of people who made those calls accept responsibility for making those calls and saying that they were the wrong calls. Haven't seen a lot of that, Roy Cooper, Mandy Cohen. Haven't seen a lot of that. Um, Also, there were people that were making these arguments at the time. I know because I talked about them. I quoted them. I interviewed them. There were other people making other assertions. And me, you know, being a non-sciencey kind of guy, I thought one of the things about science was, you know, you, you test hypotheses and you, you have different people with different ideas and they offer different evidence and you kind of do tests against uh, different um, uh, hypotheses to find out which ones play out and you look at the results and you try to make conclusions. I thought that's, that's what the science was all about. This is why I do the mocking incantation of the science and data, because it became a religion and simply a pronouncement from the clerics with their executive orders or their advice to the the people who issue the executive orders. And it just that became true. This thing became truth. And then they started targeting other people that dared to disrupt the, the, the sounds of their incantations. You know, folks that signed on to uh, uh, the Great Barrington Declaration, for example. The gaslighting works a lot better, I think, if it it didn't happen so recently. The fact that all of this stuff occurred only two years ago, and, and everybody remembers it, and a lot of places are still suffering from those decisions. There are court cases ongoing right now in North Carolina about these orders. And maybe that's why these politicians don't come out and say, yeah, it was the wrong decision. Plus, also, they're politicians, and so they're never wrong about anything. Um, She says, reasonable people, people who cared about children and teachers, advocated on both sides of the reopening the schools debate. Okay, 
I'll, I'll assume that to be true. But only one side got censored. One side got targeted. One side had the governor's wife flip them off in Raleigh, right? One side got that kind of treatment. One side got the cops called on them. One side. So spare me the, oh, well, we were just debating. Mm, yeah, no. One side had the cops show up and shut down their, uh, their racetrack. Open air dirt track in Alamance. I take it back. I don't know if it's a dirt track. It may have been pavement. Is that case still going on? It might be. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Got an e- or a uh, tweet here from J.H. Rock. No Pamnesty. Bring on Nuremberg 2.0. They will do it again if given the chance. Right, I, I think I think there there is a requirement if we're going to give the amnesty, the pandemic amnesty or the pamnesty, if we're going to do that, then there there needs to be some I don't know, let's not say Nuremberg, let's say a nine eleven commission or a J six committee, if you will. Like let's let's have I mean, but with actual, you know, Democrats and Republicans, right? Make it actually bipartisan and make it so it has credibility. Make it an adversarial kind of a uh, investigation and uh, and hearing. To me, that's how you build credibility. Now, uh, that might not be what the goal here is. That's why I always ask people, what's the objective, right? What is the objective of pandemic amnesty? Is it just to well help us all move along, help the country heal and move forward? Is that the objective? Because I don't even think you need to do like this amnesty idea. You, you, you don't need to get forgiveness from people. You just need to acknowledge that here are all the things that were done that were wrong, and we should not do them again. And then have it signed on to, like the Great Barrington Declaration. You have everybody that made those bad calls, have them all sign on and say, these were bad calls. I think that would go a long way, actually. Let me go over here to the phones. Jerry, welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, Pete. Hey. Uh, I, I was pretty outraged when I saw this all pop up. And first of all, um, to your last point, I don't think it's about moving on. I think it's about helping them avoid liability, mm-hmm. legal liability down the road. But um, I'm very angry about it. I'm going to get choked up about it. I have been tweeting Emily Oster. I know it's like spitting into the wind, but it makes me feel better. Every time I see a heartbreaking anecdote that someone posted about having to watch their parent die on face, you know, live on Facebook, but they couldn't be with them or I mean, so many stories. I've been tweeting all of them to her, and I've been telling her, like, screw your amnesty, go to hell, because I I, I am so outraged that they would even have the gall to suggest this. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm just so outraged about it, and I find it so insulting, having been, you know, the brunt of, you know, I'm not, I didn't get vaccinated, and I thank God every day I was strong enough not to, but I'm self-employed, and I work at home, so... I didn't have an employer to, to answer to, but right. I'm excited for my right. Clients, but, uh, every this but, it goes to this idea that everybody thinks they would be the family that he, that hid Anne Frank in their attic. Everybody thinks that they would be the ones to do that, and the reality is most people would not. And you know how we know that is because most people don't. They didn't. They haven't. Society is filled with examples how most people don't do things that jeopardize themselves for the sake of others. But it, it, what, what, out, what part of what I'm outraged about is every everybody that had worked their for, you know their whole life to have a business 
right. that had their business crushed. Yep. For all the people, for all the people who lost loved ones, I had a cousin who passed away that I didn't know about until later, um, uh, and I a distant cousin, and, and I, I, it's just, it's just soul crushing to think they can go, oops, oh, oops, sorry, we got it wrong. It, it's a, it's a big hell no for me. Yeah, just, I hear you, Jerry. I appreciate the call. Thank you. All right, take care. Um, the people who got it right, for whatever reason, may want to gloat, Emily Oster says. Those who got it wrong, for whatever reason, may feel defensive and retrench into a position that does not accord with the facts. All of this gloating and defensiveness continues to gobble up a lot of social energy and to drive the culture wars, especially on the Internet. These discussions are heated, unpleasant, and ultimately unproductive. Well, they're only unproductive if you don't get to a point where you say, here are all the things that we got wrong. But if you're not willing to do that, then the fight is not going to be abandoned. Now, you may think that the fight should be abandoned, but the people that were abused during that fight two years ago, they're still fighting you. I know people who lost jobs because of this. I lo- Look, I, lo- I-, I went and got the shot. And so for whenever there was like, okay, you need the COVID shot in order to gain access here or to do this thing over there, right? I, 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 didn't, I didn't have to make that call, just like Jerry was saying. You know, she worked from home, and so she was never put in that position. I was not put in the position because I had already made the determination to get the shot. So anything that, that came afterwards, it didn't personally impact me. But I objected when they tried to make mandates for everybody else. I still do. I still do. Everybody that got fired for not getting the shots, they need to get their jobs back, as they should never have been fired in the first place. The military folks should not have been kicked out. Now you got the CDC telling, oh, we got to uh, make these mandatory for all the school kids. Are you still, I mean, I know people aren't paying a lot of attention to it anymore. I still read some stories on it every now and again, like all of the, the European countries that they're saying no shots for the kids. Right? The science is not settled on this. How in the world could it be? The people that took down any mention, any quotes from Robert Malone talking about the vaccines, these are the people now that say, okay, you know what, how about an amnesty on all of this? No. No, what can move us forward is for the proponents of the bad ideas to acknowledge that they were wrong. Start there. She says, we have to put these fights aside and declare a pandemic amnesty. We can leave out the willful purveyors of actual misinformation while forgiving the hard calls that people had no choice but to make with imperfect knowledge. Right, okay, but who decides which is which? Who decides which is which? Because the people who were saying you can't get it if you're not going to get it at the beach, right? They were accused of providing misinformation. The things that you think are misinformation now might not be considered to be misinformation in another six months. So who gets to make that call? Oh, I know. I know the answer. It's you. All right. Congressman Dan Bishop's going to join me up next.